foundation of a healthy church. Now we want to talk about the authority within a local church. Then we'll move on to tomorrow to matters of membership, to how to protect the church, and then the people who would lead the church. So we need to talk about authority. Um, So we've talked about the foundation of the church. So important that a church is founded upon the Word of God. So we're simply asking that question, what does the Bible say? Not what do other people want? What do I think we need? What does the Bible say? We will do what the Bible says. It's God's church. We'll run it God's way. We need churches that are word-centered rather than attractional. Now we need to discuss matters of organization or responsibility or authority within the church. Right, A church is in some ways an organized structure. It needs some kind of authority. So really what we're asking is, whose church is it? Who has the responsibility for the present and the future health of this local church? Who is it that should take a genuine interest in what happens in this church? Is this a church that belongs to a very few people? Then there's maybe lots of people around the periphery who loosely attach themselves to it. Or should there be lots of people within a church who really feel a direct sense of ownership over that church? We know that a church needs to have people and leaders, right? A congregation and elders. What's the relationship between those two groups of people? And what I want us to see as we go forward here is that both the congregation and the elders ought to have a kind of authority and that when a church is functioning well, those two forms of authority will complement one another just perfectly. So whose church is it? Within a, a church, you've got these two different bodies, the congregation and the elders, and they can fit together in different ways according to different ways of, of, of different models of church. So let's just look at some and see how different churches structure this. So you might have a, a pastor-led church or pastor-ruled church or the kind of pastor is CEO model. When you have that, the pastor has authority. If there are elders, they really have no authority. And if, well, the congregation, there will be a congregation, but they have no authority, right? The, the pastor is the CEO. He's got all the authority in the church. What he says goes. Some churches are elder authority. So there's a small group of elders, and they've got 100% of the authority. They're not going to the congregation. They're not voting on matters. They're not gathering the minds together. The elders run the church. They tell the church how it's going to go, and people are expected to come along with them. Very common model of church. Of course, you can also have essentially the opposite, where the congregation has all the authority and the elders or pastors have no real authority, right? So if the, the congregation wants something, it's, it's like the, the pastor is basically their employee. They tell him what to do, and he's expected to deliver on that. So whose church is it? It's the congregation's church, right? They might hire in a pastor, but he's there to do their bidding. He's there to deliver what they want. And then there's a denominational kind of church you often see, where the denomination is really the one with the authority, right? They might own the building, they've got the, and they own the name. Um, they they're the ones who would hire people like pastors. So the denomination has the authority over the church. They delegate some of that authority to elders or to a pastor, and then he might delegate a small amount of his authority to people within the congregation. But really, this is denominational rule, right? The denomination 
really owns the church. It's the denomination's church. The others fall underneath the authority of the denomination. So there's all these different ways that churches can be structured. What I'd want to advocate tonight is what you might, there's no great name for it other than elder-led congregationalism. I, I'm convinced this is the better, the more biblical view of looking at the relationship between those two bodies, the congregation and the elders. When we say it's a congregational church, we're meaning that the church belongs to the congregation. The church is the congregation's church. But the elders lead that church. They lead that congregation. So it's an elder-led congregationalism. Elders lead the congregation's church. So I want to show this to you over a few minutes. If you look at it in that same kind of diagram, the congregation has authority. The elders fit within the authority of the congregation. The authority of the, the congregation is the wide circle and then within it is the authority of the elders. So first we need to talk about the authority of the congregation. And the big thing you need to see is that the Bible teaches that church membership, so being part of that congregation, is an office. It's a task. It's, it's a job, you might even say. Joining a church is not like joining a co-op, right? It's not becoming a member of a social club. Membership comes with responsibilities, with obligations. What are the responsibilities of church membership? The, the core responsibility of being a member of a church is to guard the gospel. You become a member of the church. It is your responsibility to guard the gospel within that church. More specifically, it's to guard the what and the who of the gospel. As a member of a church, a part of a congregation, it's your job to guard the what and the who of the gospel. Which means it's the church's job to answer these questions. What is a true gospel confession? And who is a true gospel confessor? It's asking, is this, is this a true gospel confession? And is that person a true gospel confessor, a true confessor of that gospel? And that right there I see is the heart of congregationalism, of church membership. That's not all there is to it, but that's the main responsibility, the basic responsibility. Gospel confession, what is true about the gospel, and gospel confessor, who is the one who rightly confesses that truth. So let me tease that out for you under four different headings. The first is this, there's different kinds of authority within the church. Now we're accustomed to treating authority as, as an either-or kind of thing. Either this person has authority or that person has authority, right? You go to a hockey game, the referee has authority over the game, the crowd does not, right? He's the one with authority, he can do what he wants, he can call it the way he wants. You go into a store, the store manager has authority over that store, not the customer, on and on it goes. But in the church, it's not an either-or. It's not either the congregation has authority or the elders have authority. The pastors have one kind of authority. The congregation has another kind. And the Bible holds each responsible for its own part of the equation. 
And that puts an obligation then on both members of a church and pastors of a church to know what each one is responsible for. It's true of members. It's true of elders. So that's the first thing. Second, the authority of the keys of the kingdom belongs to the congregation. This notion of the keys of the kingdom. In the background of any discussion about church membership or the role of members within a church, we need to have a healthy and biblical understanding of the keys of the kingdom. That's an idea Jesus introduces when he introduces the church, right? In Matthew um, 16, Jesus asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus affirms that answer, and he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So you look at this. You see, Jesus is interested in a what and in a who. He's interested in what is a right confession and who is a right confessor, just like we've been talking about. Then Jesus gives Peter and the apostles this same authority. They can stand in front of somebody uh, and stand in front of a confessor, you could say, someone who's saying this is the gospel. They can hear that person's confession and they can announce a judgment on behalf of heaven. This is a right confession, so you are a right confessor. You, you've made the right confession, so we know that you're a true confessor of the faith. Or, this is not a right confession, so you are not a right confessor. That makes sense? Jesus delegates this to Peter and the apostles. Stand and hear somebody confess faith, and you determine if their, if their faith is correct, they're saying the right things, believing the right things, and you can affirm them as being a true believer, true confessor. Now, whoever's got the, the keys of the kingdom, they don't have the right to, to declare, no, they don't have the right to make somebody a Christian. They've got the right to declare you are a Christian. On the basis of your confession, I can say that you are a confessor. You, you do confess Jesus Christ. You're a Christian. And every church is called to do that once through baptism. Right? Somebody comes and says, I want to be baptized. And you say, why do you want to be baptized? And they what is the gospel? And they tell you the gospel. If they get it completely wrong, you'd say that is not a right confession. Therefore, you are not a true confessor. Therefore, we will not baptize you. Or they come and they say, I'd like to be baptized. You say, what is the gospel? What's happened in your life? And they tell you. They, they make a right confession. They, they speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That They put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've received his salvation. You can say that is a true confession. So you are a true confessor. And so you do that in baptism. And then in the life of the church, you do that repeatedly through Lord's Supper. right? Whereas you take Lord's Supper together, you, you fence the table, you tell people you, you must not partake in this if you're not a Christian. And if somebody has proven they're not a Christian, you tell them they may not take it. right? You, you, you warn them away from the table. Do not eat and drink judgment upon yourself. You're not professing faith in Jesus, so you may not uh, partake in this meal. And so really, when you're talking about a right confession and a right confessor, you're answering who can be baptized and who can take the Lord's Supper, right? You've got these guards within the church whose 
uh, baptized into the church and who continues to participate in the life of the church. So Matthew 16, the apostles are said to hold the keys, right? Jesus delegates these. You are Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Then in Matthew 18, Jesus takes it, takes these keys and puts them in the hand of the church. So not just in the hands of the apostles anymore, but in the hands of the local church. And we'll talk about church discipline, Matthew 18, later on. But let me just read this passage from that text. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And then this, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. So somebody is, is unrepentant of serious sin, so Jesus calls the church to take action. And he references the language of these keys, right? Just two chapters earlier, he's spoken to Peter about these keys. Now he's using that same language, right? Binding, loosing, locking, unlocking. Uh, so there's no clear mention of pastors or elders here. That The final court of appeal is the church, the local church has the authority to guard the what and the who of the gospel. That authority was initially given to the apostles, then given to the local church. So the local church holds the keys to determine what is a true confession and who is a true confessor. That falls under the authority, under the responsibility of the local church, not just the elders. This is the responsibility of the congregation, of the church. So congregationalism, as I've defined it here, it's about protecting and proclaiming the gospel. When you're baptized into the name of Christ, you become responsible for the name of Christ, right? You're baptized into this family, you become responsible for the family name. And that responsibility comes with authority, right? At the end of Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in the name of Christ as a church to exercise the authority of the keys, Christ is there. He's given that authority to them, so it's like he's there present with them. His own reputation, his own authority, stand behind the church's exercise of the keys of the kingdom. You are a true gospel confessor. That is a true gospel confession. Or that is not a true confession, so you're not a true confessor. Okay, so we've seen there's different kinds of authority in the church, that the authority of the keys of the kingdom belong to the congregation as a whole. Now, church membership, therefore, is an office, or it's a job. So being a member in a local church, it's not just joining a co-op, it's not just joining a club. There's responsibilities that come to you when you become a member of a local church. And there's two essential responsibilities, to preserve the gospel and to affirm gospel citizens. Just saying the same thing in a new way. One of your responsibilities is to help preserve the gospel to everyone who's joining your church. You should say something like, you as a baptized Christian, just an ordinary member of this ordinary church, it's your responsibility to protect and preserve the gospel. It's not just joining into something for fun. You're now responsible as a member of a church to protect and preserve the gospel in this church. 
That's why in Galatians chapter 1, we see Paul calling on the whole congregation to clean up false teaching in the church, right? He doesn't just tell the pastor to do it. It's the responsibility of the church. That might even mean that church members, if the pastor is the one who's spreading false doctrine, then it's the church's job to get rid of that pastor, right? It's the church's job to protect, to preserve the gospel in that congregation. And it's also the church's job to help affirm gospel citizens. Every member of any local church is responsible for protecting and preserving the gospel by affirming gospel citizens, you might say, and disaffirming people who are not gospel citizens. So you see that in 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 18. These passages we'll talk about more tomorrow, passages about discipline. It's the congregation that's meant to act to clear up who it is that truly represents Jesus to the world. When the pastors or elders say to Christians, essentially it's our job to receive members, it's ours as the elders, it's our job to receive members, it's the elders' job to do church discipline, it's the elders' job to guard the gospel, you just kind of sit down and, and just be quiet. They're actually weakening Christians. They're promoting complacency. They're taking away from the congregation a task that Jesus himself has given to the congregation. So, the church has authority. The church has authority specifically in membership, discipline, doctrine, and leadership. This is why we vote on matters, at least in our church, and hopefully in most churches, you vote on issues like discipline. You vote on things like drawing people into membership, and you vote on things like removing people from membership, either welcoming them in or somehow casting them out. You vote to affirm or remove leaders. The church has authority when it comes to the membership, who's in and who's out, discipline, doctrine, what is a true confession, and leadership. So the church, the congregation, the members have genuine responsibilities. This has relevance beyond just taking votes at a a members meeting, right? If the church is to exercise the kind of responsibility that Jesus Christ has delegated to it, it means you need to know the gospel. Every member of the church needs to know the gospel, which means every member of the church needs to know their Bible. This is a responsibility. They need to take it very seriously. So know the gospel, know the Bible, and then know one another. Part of being a member of a church is knowing others and being known by them. You simply can't do your job as a church member if you don't know people. right? You have to know them so you can keep watch on them, so you can care for them. It's not just your job to alert elders when there's a problem, but to yourself take on the responsibility to reach out to people, to help people. All those one another commands in the New Testament aren't commands from elders to people, but from member to member. Right? They speak to how we're to care, how to, we're to love one another. So that's the authority of the congregation. And then there's also authority that's given to elders. And again, the authority of the elders sits within the authority 
of the congregation. The authority has this, the, the congregation has this wide authority, this wide mandate from Jesus Christ. The authority of the elders sits within it. And what is the, the special task of the elders then? It doesn't take much reading scripture to find out. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls. Right? There's lots of verses like these. So the congregation has that authority of the keys of the kingdom. Sitting within that authority is the authority of the elders, and their authority is in teaching and oversight. The elders use their authority of teaching and oversight so they can lead the church in their use of the keys of the kingdom. See, the congregation on its own cannot wisely judge the what and the who of the gospel. They can't carry out their responsibility unless they've got these teachers, these leaders, these elders who are teaching them and giving them oversight. So the congregation, to do what they're called to do, needs the elders to do what they're called to do. They need the elders to lead them in their exercise of the keys of the kingdom. Now why is that? Why does a congregation need this kind of oversight? Well, it makes a lot of sense because people are coming into the membership who are new believers. right? They've just come to Christ. They've come out of a, a terrible lifestyle. They've just come to Christ. They've been baptized. Now they're members of the church. They need to be taught. They need to be trained. They need to be taught about the keys of the kingdom. They need to be taught how to exercise those things. right? They need teachers who will lead them so they can use their authority well. And even people who have been Christians for a long time still need to be taught and retaught how to do these things well. Right? So the congregation has this wide authority to protect the what and the who of the gospel. The elders have authority within that to give teaching and oversight. How do elders do that? We can break down the responsibilities into just three categories. First is the ministry of preaching. Right, and tomorrow we'll talk about how to choose elders and how elders are qualified. But the only qualification that doesn't relate to character is the ability to teach. Right? So elders are to preach or to teach the word in both public and in private. So Acts chapter six, verse four, as deacons were created, that's because the teachers, the elders, were saying we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So rather than be distracted. Um, by the taking care of practical needs, they would create deacons who would take on that role. They themselves would devote themselves to the ministry of the word, and then also, of course, to the ministry of prayer. So elders have the special responsibility to preach and to pray. And the third part is to protect. The ministry of, you could say, gathering and protecting. Right In both Old Testament and New Testament, that role is often related to shepherding to compared to sheep and their shepherd or the flock and their shepherd. You find that language used all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's the kind of language we expect to find in Scripture and we find it all over. 
Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So elders are to keep watch over the flock. They're to look out for those who are weak and those who are struggling, for people who are rebellious or for those wolves in sheep's clothing. And almost always, members should submit to and follow their leaders as they lead. Right? Hebrews 13, verse 17 calls them to that. Uh, we're to follow the example as elders give us an example. So elders are there to equip the congregation through preaching, through praying, through protecting, so the congregation can carry out the ministry, carry out the, uh, do the authority that has been given to them by Jesus, the responsibility Jesus has given to them. So how do these fit together? That's what we want to ask. you got this wide authority of the congregation sitting within it, the authority of the elders. How do these actually fit together practically? And the key to it is Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16. We read, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And of course it goes on to speaking the truth in love and so on. So there's a real balance then between these two. Real balance between the authority of the congregation and the authority of the elders. It's the responsibility of the church to guard a gospel confession. Right? So in verse 14 of what we just read, instead of being carried about by every wind of doctrine, we're stable. Right? We're grounded. And how does it happen? Does that happen as the elders protect the doctrine of the church? No, it's the task of the congregation. Right? The congregation does the work of the ministry. The whole body, as they do the work of the ministry, the whole body matures in unity. It grows into the fullness of the stature of Christ. So the church cares for each other, and as each one stays true to the gospel, the church as a whole stays true to the gospel. And yet, the congregation does this as they're equipped. right? So the elders, the teachers, are equipping them to do this. So these two authorities really support one another. Neither can accomplish the task God has given them without the elder, without the others, right? The congregation needs the elders to help them, to teach them, to equip them, to lead them to the word. And of course, the elders need the congregation to uh, carry out the, the work of the keys of the kingdom. And there's two ways this often goes wrong. There, sometimes you have an inactive congregation and then overburdened elders. Right? So the, the congregation is doing almost nothing. The elders are doing all the work. You gotta be careful. Congregationalism doesn't just see that the congregation is only ever exercising authority when it comes to turfing out elders or something. Right? Um, it, it doesn't have authority only to use it in emergency situations. Um, gospel protection is like the day by day work of the congregation as they're equipped by the elders. So sometimes you have a, an inactive congregation. They're not carrying out their role. The elders are doing everything. 
Of course, the opposite can be true. You have this congregation that's got all the power and elders who are total pushovers. It's important to see that like, congregationalism is not democracy, right? It's not like the, the congregation is the people and the elders are parliament or something. We vote them in to do what we want them to do. It, it's not like that. The congregation does have the most basic authority under Christ, but the authority given to the elders is not given by the congregation. It's given by Jesus Christ, right? So it's not like there's a, uh, an authority that's delegated by the congregation to the elders, the, the elders' authority comes from Jesus Christ himself. So the elders are to use their authority to help the congregation exercise their authority. So hopefully, you know, 99.9% of the time, these two are working together very, very well. But in extreme situations, maybe the congregation does have to exercise its wider authority. Maybe the, the, one of the elders is teaching what's untrue teaching doctrine that's opposed to the Word of God. And so the congregation then is guarding the gospel. How? By removing that elder, right? A congregation may have to step in and exercise their wider authority by removing that unfaithful elder. But hopefully, 99.9% of the time at least, these these two are working together very, very well in, in real harmony. So they're not opposed to each other. The elders or the congregation, neither one is kind of using their authority as a trump card, like do this or else. Instead, they're each living under the weight of their responsibility, and they're carrying out the tasks that come with with the authority that God's given them. So, in brief, 40 minutes or less, elder-led congregationalism. Elders use elder authority to help the congregation use congregational authority. Elders exercise the authority that's been specifically given them so they can help the congregation exercise the authority that's been specifically given them. This model affirms the authority of the congregation as the most basic level of authority in the local church. It makes membership in the local church really mean something. It affirms the authority of the elders as coming within the authority of the congregation and hopefully strikes just the right balance between the two to guard the gospel by determining what's a right gospel confession and who is a right gospel confessor.